I'm Beth Bruno, and you're listening to the Fierce and Lovely Podcast. This is a podcast for women who wonder how strength and weakness coexist, or how to bless both bravery and tenderness. For those longing to bring the fullness of their glory to the world without a chip on their shoulder. For those who have embraced a global sisterhood and left small storied lives behind, this is for you. The fierce and lovely women seeking the both and of a big storied life. Join me as I chat with fierce and lovely women around the world. episode, I talk with Shannon Martin, author of the newly released book, The Ministry of Ordinary Places. Shannon is a speaker and writer who found her voice in the country and her story in the city. She and her jail chaplain husband, Corey, have four funny children who have come to them across oceans and rivers. They enjoy neighborhood life in Goshen, Indiana, a place they fall more in love with every year. Before Shannon and I hit record on this show, we were chatting about how each podcast interview ends up being so unique for her, just dependent upon the host's questions and interests. And so in this interview, you will definitely hear my penchant for community development and social justice issues and my own desire to um, reframe the lens through which I view my own community that I might more readily see injustices and brokenness and um, the disenfranchised. And so I hope that you are encouraged by our conversation as was I. Before I turn over uh, to the interview, I just want to ask for your support. In the digital world where we are building new things, we are so reliant upon uh, social media likes and shares and in iTunes, um, podcast reviews and subscribers. And so I just would so appreciate it if you would uh, share the show with your friends and like it where you see it and head over to uh, the place where you download your podcasts and leave a review. Your support would mean so much to me as I am just building this new, uh, fun, creative project of mine, uh, the Fierce and Lovely podcast, but also trying to just get a message out there to um, to all of us about being fierce and lovely and to platform strong women uh, when I find them. So thanks so much for tuning in. Here's my interview with Shannon Martin. Hi, Shannon. Welcome to the Fierce and Lovely podcast. Hello. I'm excited to have you on the show today. I know. Um, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for doing this. I know with with a book that's just released, you have been on the podcast circuit. So um, I'm not sure how many um, times my listeners have heard you, but for those that haven't, for those that don't know you, um, I've already shared a little bit about your your bio, your official bio. And so... In that, it says you've got four kids from across oceans and rivers. Mm-hmm. You want to tell us a bit about what that means? Yeah, you know, my husband and I, we have four children. 
and they are they range from 10 years old up to 24 years old and each of them came to us through adoption so you know they each have a story that's a little bit unique and special and different they kind of come from different places and you know have different backgrounds but yeah we're just we're we're pretty lucky we think mm-hmm. <laughs> And some of them came to you as newborns and some were already how old? Yeah. 19, well, 20? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We had, I mean, we've got a little bit of everything. So um, we were there when Ruby was born. And so we had her from birth. Um, Calvin was almost five months old. Silas was 18 months old. So he was very much, you know, his own little person at that point, walking and talking and all of that. And then Robert was 19. <laughs> when he came into our family. So that was a that was a whole new ballgame. <laughs> exactly. I love it. <laughs> you yeah. also say in your bio that you found your voice in the country, but your story in the city, which mm-hmm. is lovely. Do you want to take a stab at, at naming what your story is, what story it is that you have found in the city? Yeah, my family moved from the country where we thought we were going to live pretty much forever. You know, we, we thought we were putting down really long-term roots there. And, and it turned out we, we only ended up being in that beautiful dream farmhouse of ours for four years. And then we did move to just a very ordinary, um, maybe a little shabby rundown, a low income neighborhood on what a lot of people would consider to be the wrong side of the tracks in a nearby city. So it was, you know, while it wasn't a big shift, um, in terms of location, you know, we moved 20 minutes away from where we had been. It was just a, a whole new world for us. Um, just, you know, having neighbors at all, you know, when we had been very used to living in a very rural community out in the country. Um, and so, you know, once we got here to the neighborhood and started to really, really seek an answer to what does it look like to live as a neighbor? You know, we we found ourselves really pulled in by this theme throughout the Bible um, that, you know, our calling as a Christian is to love God and then to love our neighbor. And we found that we really had a lot to learn (laughs) when it came to loving our neighbor. And so that's where, you know, just finding our place in a community that we never imagined ourselves being part of and and coming to see the ways we were being loved by people around us who on paper might not have so much in common with us. Um, You know, learning to listen. And my husband became the chaplain at the county jail not long after we moved here. So, you know, all of these different pieces of the puzzle started to um, take shape in me to where I would say now, you know, and this is six years in, we've been here now for six years. So it's very much home. It's very ordinary to us now. We, we are absolutely obsessed with our neighborhood, but I, you know, if, if I had to say, you know, what is the story? I mean, my story is that, you know, life looks very differently than we often think it will. And um, we're not so much in control as we think we are. And that there's just a certain beauty to living in proximity to suffering and mm. to be able to bear witness to lives that are just really, they're different than ours, but they're also just, you know, they, they struggle and suffer in ways that I've never had to. And so sitting really close to that has been really um, eye-opening for me and my family. Wow. And 
And then you talk about it being unexpected or just kind of not a part of your original plan for your yeah. lives. And Absolutely. I know you, you write some about that in your first book. Um, but can you tell us kind of, I don't know, can you possibly summarize what led you and Corey to make that, that major move, even though it yeah. was 20 minutes down the road? Yeah. You know, it's one of those things that I certainly don't feel like I can take credit for, you know, that was one of the things all along for us was, you know, walking through this, this time of trying to navigate what is God's will for us. We, we had both grown up in the church in wonderful Christian families. And, you know, at the point that we started to feel the earth kind of move beneath our feet, um, you know, it, it was difficult. It was a difficult time to navigate okay, we, we understand now that it's very important to the heart of God that we love the poor, but we don't really know the poor. If we're being honest with ourselves, we had lived most of our lives, the vast majority of our lives surrounded by people who, who looked and lived and believed exactly like we did. So, you know, it, it was a, it was a slow journey in some ways, in some ways it felt pretty dramatic and, you know, like everything changed at once, but in a lot of ways, it just felt really slow and it mm. felt like God just kind of one step at a time without us ever knowing what was going to come next or without us understanding why, you know, it was just, just this, take this next step and trust me. And, you know, one of the ways that we started to really discern that this was God's voice in our lives was the fact that we ourselves would never have chosen this. You know, we, <laughs> we thought we were right where we wanted to be, right where we were supposed to be. And so to really pretty suddenly start to feel like, okay, we feel like God is kind of calling us out of our comfort a little bit. And that's not something that, you know, like I said, that's not something we would have chosen on our own. Right. And so it was just, you know, it was a journey and it was, it was a lot of, a lot of slow steps that, that brought us to where we are now. And what I know now is that we're not done taking those steps. Hmm. You know, there's always something else and there's always another shift. And, and I don't know that, you know, we had a lot of pretty big life change all at once with jobs and, you know, where we lived and adding members to our family and, you know, on and on it went, it was a lot. And I don't know that, that we have, you know, a lot of those big things happening all at once in our future, we might, but I do know that God's always, you know, he's about the work of turning our hearts more and more and more towards him and more and more away from ourselves and towards the people around us. And so, you know, I'm just, I always like to think a year from now, hopefully I'll look back on today and even then be just kind of surprised by, you know, where I've, where I've come. Hmm. I like that, that all of our small daily steps have led to today's story, this yeah. you know, story you're living in the city. Did you guys move knowing that your husband would become the jail chaplain or was that to no. a discovery? We had, yeah, we had no idea. When we moved here, um, my husband and I had both worked in federal politics for quite some time, like, you know, a decade, I don't know, 10 years. Um, and our political jobs separately came to pretty abrupt endings. And, you know, this is just the maelstrom that is politics. Um, things sure. are always changing. You know, there are always elections and 
um, new leaders and sometimes there are scandals and that's kind of how, you know, my husband's boss kind of resigned in a pretty abrupt way. And we ended up at that time when he was suddenly looking for work, he ended up kind of veering into nonprofit work. And so at the point that we moved to the neighborhood, he was working for an alternative school and he was working not as a teacher, but as an administrator. And that was a pretty meaningful shift in our lives in a lot of different ways. But for one thing that did pull us into proximity with, you know, people and kids and their families who had really grown up in generational poverty, really were struggling in ways that were sort of, you know, a bit foreign to us, but he worked in that role for another year or so after we moved here. And then pretty, pretty um, shockingly, the position of full-time chaplain came available. And it was just one of those things where if, if we're being honest, I was kind of, you know, it, it came onto my radar and I just remember thinking, okay, this is, Corey was made for this and he didn't quite see it that way. Um, <laughs> I had to kind of shove him towards it, but it, you know, it turned out to be just the surprise of our life. I mean, it's, you know, and it's it, the influence of the jail and our friends that come out of the jail have, I mean, that has just fundamentally changed our life. It has changed the way we see the world. It has changed the way we see God. I mean, it's just really, in a lot of ways, it's kind of, um, you know, it's, it's just really bled into every area of our life. And it was quite a surprise. Hmm. And something he had never done. I mean, it oh, sounds no. like I can't imagine going from the world of, of DC right. to a jail. It was, I mean, it was an <laughs> abrupt difference. And it's one of those things that we can make a lot of jokes about, you know, like going from, you know, people love to make those jokes with Corey and he does too. I mean, in some ways there are some, you know, kind of similarities between you move out of politics and, and into the jail. It's, it's kind of funny to think about it. Um, but he had never, ever, I mean, he hadn't really imagined himself working in politics through college and that kind of thing. That was, you know, that in and of itself was a surprise. But when we, when we got to our home here in the neighborhood, that's when we adopted Robert, who's our 19 year old at the time. And when he became part of our family, he was in jail. And then he was moved on to prison. He served a little less than a year in prison. And then when he was released from prison, he came home to live with us while he kind of, you know, had a, a time of rebuilding, I guess, in uh -huh. his life. And so when we started visiting him at the jail, that was our first interaction ever with, you know, even being at the jail, even really thinking about incarceration. And so, you know, a year and a half or so after Robert got out of jail was when Corey became the chaplain of that same jail. And so it was kind of, you know, a, a pretty cool full circle moment. Um, but yeah, I mean, he went from, you know, suits and ties every day to flannel shirts and boots and a beard and just <laughs> driving his old beater to the jail every day. And so it was a, you know, it's, it, it's one of those things that he's a really introverted guy. He's, um, I don't, you know, it's on paper, we never would have imagined that it would make sense. And in some ways, I think he certainly did feel unequipped for the task. But I think that's just where that's where God meets us most profoundly. That's what we keep learning is that as we go out of our comfort, 
out of our area of comfort or out of our area where we feel like, you know, we've, we've got this under control. That's where we really have the opportunity to feel God's power. And so now, I mean, this is just his dream job. It's, mm-hmm. it's hard to imagine him doing anything else. And he says all the time, I cannot believe I wore a suit and tie to work every day. How did I ever survive that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so for those of us who don't fully understand the the justice system, um, can you just briefly explain what what it, what we mean by jail? Like this mm-hmm. isn't a prison. Everyone yeah. there is is waiting trial, right. correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the county jail, and we have a we're our county has one of the largest county jails in the state of Indiana. It's a huge facility, almost, you know, over 900 beds. Um, But the men and women at a county jail are typically pre-trial or pre-sentencing. So these are um, people who are waiting, like you said, I mean, they're waiting to see what's going to happen next. And as we continue, as Corey and I continue to dive deeper and deeper and deeper into what does what is the criminal justice system? And, you know, we're identifying the ways that it's just really profoundly broken and flawed in many ways, because what, what we're starting to understand in ways that we can't ignore is that the jail is filled with people who cannot make bail. So when, when, you know, somebody middle-class or upper-class is arrested for a charge of which they have not been found guilty, you know, that we are supposedly presumed innocent until we're proven guilty, but, um, you know, they might, they might receive a charge and they pay the bail and they go home and they do their waiting at home and their life continues moving forward. The people inside a county jail are by and large people who just can't afford that bail. And so while they also have not been um, found guilty of this particular crime, they're just stuck there. And in the meantime of, you know, in the, in the time that they're stuck there, their lives in a lot of ways do unravel. I mean, they lose their jobs, they lose their place of employment, they, they grow behind on child support payments, or they're leaving, you know, a wife or a husband or children behind to kind of fend for themselves. And it's really pretty, pretty tragic to watch this play out over and over and over again. Oh, I imagine. So Shannon, if they are then found to be not guilty, mm-hmm. how are there any reparations made? Well, no, I mean, no. And and it's interesting because our son, Robert, who, you know, he's been out of prison now for, I don't know, five years. You know, it's been, it's been quite some time, but he's still on probation and it feels like he's going to be on probation forever. And, and that's another layer to this is that once somebody's on probation, I mean, it can take just the the most minor, the most, you know, missing a court hearing or missing a check-in or, you know, all these different things, missing a payment. There are a lot of fees and fines associated with all, every layer of incarceration. But he was actually um, arrested sometime last year and ended up being in jail, sitting there for three months, at which time, again, he lost his job, he lost his home. He became behind on child support. And at the end of three months, they just came in one day and let him go home. I mean, and Uh, for us, it was like, you know, he was happy. He was thrilled um, because he'd been saying all along, like, you know, there's, they have no reason to have me here. 
and ultimately that was true and they had no reason to to have him there and they finally just kind of gave up and sent him home but we're looking at this like you know in the meantime his life is just you know you talk about taking two steps back again and mm-hmm. he's just one example you know i think this happens all the time so we've become really invested and interested and you know we just we feel like this is very much part of our calling to just to continue to learn and advocate and yeah there's just it's it's a lot i can one one of the things that has helped us really dive in and really aside from just living it but but for somebody maybe a bit more on the outside wanting to learn there's a new podcast called justice in america Mm-hmm. And it's just a fantastic tool for learning more about all of this. Wow. So how do you, I mean, obviously, Shannon, this is not just your husband's job. This is your ministry as a family. Yeah. You're you're embodying this. So you're deeply involved in the, the people there in your county jail. How are you dealing with the injustice that you see and not going absolutely crazy like how how are you pursuing hope and course correction in the face of a broken system yeah I mean I think I think it's important to keep our eye on the broken systems around us because there are many and this is something that even just a handful of years ago I wasn't in tune with that I wasn't aware of that and I certainly didn't see myself as bearing any responsibility in repairing those broken systems. But at the same time, there's, there is this element of truth that, you know, when, when we face a a broken or unjust system, that's a big problem. You know, like that's where it can be, it can be easy to feel overwhelmed by that. Sure. It seems daunting. Right. I mean, we might be talking about criminal justice system right now, but I mean, it's, it's any number of things where, you know, this, this kind of broad, broad anxiety is kind of swirling around over our heads. And it's, you know, you just kind of look up and think, I'm just one person. There is nothing I can do to fix this. And in some ways there might be some truth to that. So for us, you know, while I think it's important for us to, to continue to seek justice and to work for peace you know, to make peace in some of these areas in whatever small ways we can, I think holding on to hope means pursuing relationships with the people afflicted by these broken systems. Hmm. And, you know, for us, for my family, you know, our ministry and our ordinary place is just that. I mean, we're just, we're just living life here in the neighborhood Um, we're trying to live as intentionally near the people around us as possible. And many of those people are coming from places of deep um, physical needs. Sometimes, you know, a lot of our friends and people we dearly love are still trying to outrun addiction. You know, they're just, life is just really hard. And, And where I can feel hope is, is sitting very close to them, you know, like keeping them, keeping them connected to our life, being loved by them. I mean, we just had on today's Tuesday. So on Monday nights, we have a Bible study at our church and it's a very ragtag group of people. I wrote about it actually. in. I love the description of that Bible study. (laughs) Loved it. (laughs) 
it's the most it's the most special and one of the most beautiful parts of our life but it, it is a very you know we're a very we call ourselves the misfits that's what that's who we are and that's kind of the name that we go by but last night alone and people there are some people that are regulars and there are some people that come and go and it's a very small group there might be you know 15 of us on a given week um but last night there were three people there who there were four there were actually two people who were there for the first time and four people out of our group of maybe 10 last night are somewhere on the path of rebuilding life after addiction and incarceration and to hear of god's goodness from them from their perspective where often you know for the most part they haven't been raised with this you know this kind of churchy lingo and language you know they just they they just they're learning intuitively by the you know being led by the holy spirit what does it look like to pray and they're not caught up in all of the things that we get caught up in um and i've got to tell you i mean it's just the most it is the most hopeful and I, don't, I just feel so privileged to be sitting in a room with them reading the bible listening to them pray listening to you know their perspective um, it's a very different perspective on the gospel and a very different perspective on, on why Jesus came. Hmm. Yeah. Can you're you reading. That? Yes. Sorry. No, okay. you're fine. You're reading alongside of people who've experienced, I'm, I imagine generational poverty. Um, they've been immersed in a lot of broken systems. And so they probably pull out of the Bible, you know, all of the times that Jesus is for the marginalized. Right. Or stands yeah. up, you know, against the powers that be the Roman Empire, yeah. right? Like, right. are those kind of the hero oh. passages for, yeah. for many? It, there's certainly some of that. And there's also just, you know, I don't know. I think one of my favorite things and, and one of the things that's most meaningful to me is that there's a real level of, um, you know, a real interest in not putting on airs on not masking struggle on not hiding um failures and you know mistakes i mean the 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 vulnerability level is set really high because we're sitting with people who they just they're they're not interested in pretending and they're not interested in making anyone think that they've got their life together because in many ways they're just very aware they're too aware our society makes them too aware that that they don't have everything together but what it does is it just it invites this this deep dependence on the power of god and invites this really daily clinging to the promises of salvation and that's a gift to me you know that's a mm -hmm. gift to me and to corey and to our kids and i mean to be able to listen to to the testimonies of people who are just right in the thick of it who are right in the struggle that's something that i that I'm just, I, I can't imagine my life without it. And mm. it's invited us to kind of lean into a more vulnerable place ourselves of just, mm. you know, this is, if we're in this together, then we're in this together. And if you're going to share humbly and boldly about stuff you're going through, then we're going to do the same, you know? So it's, it's kind of one of those, it, it really is a situation where we're very much being led 
by them, by Mm. these people who have become family to us. And that's, you know, one of our dear friends prayed at the end of our time together last night. And I don't, I think it was his first time ever praying kind of out loud with the group. And he was a little unsure. And of course it was just, you know, it's the kind of prayer that just makes you teary eyed, but that's what, that's one of the things he prayed was just, God, thank you for making us a family. And that's, that's the good stuff. You know, like that's where I'm just thinking there is no us or them. There is no, we've got the answers and they're here to learn from us or even vice versa. I mean, we're just really, um, you know, being in life and being really near the people around us, just like Jesus was. I mean, that's, that's the abundant life, I think. Hmm. Shannon, how would you say that, that they've taught you kind of the, the both and of being fierce and lovely and reflecting God mm-hmm. through, the, through those two things? How have you learned that from these friends? Yeah. I mean, they're just, they're incredibly resilient people. And so that's where I think, you know, when, when we say fierce, I mean, I just think of what they have endured and what they have suffered and what they have survived. I mean, these are, these are survivors and that's what we remind them frequently, you know, different people in our lives is, you know, when they get caught up in things that they can't get quite right or struggles that they can't seem to shake. And it's, it's, it's finding those opportunities to remind them, like, you are a survivor, like you have, you have survived harder things than this, and you're going to survive this, and you're learning to lean on the power of the cross. And, you know, that's, that's the fierce. And when, when I think of the lovely, the first thing that comes to my mind is they are just incredibly generous people. I mean, I, the, the ideas that we have as just, you know, middle-class people, you know, white middle-class Christian people, our ideas of generosity for so long centered around like, okay, we need to tithe 10% to the church. And we've really come to see a lot of that pretty differently now in large part because of our son, Robert and his friends and, you know, our friends and, and our family now really who've come out of incarceration, who are just so quick to give whatever they have to the people around them in need. And so there's not this idea of, well, I've got to take care of myself first and then I'll, you know, I'll, I'll give what I have after that. I mean, there's really a, it's, they, they really, in a lot of ways, flip that paradigm and they really are. I mean, in ways that honestly, you know, when we were parenting Robert, as he came out of prison, we found ourselves frustrated. If I'm being honest, sometimes with like, no, 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 you've got to take care of yourself first. And then we would take a step back and think, okay, but, but isn't this the way of Jesus? Isn't this, you know, caring for our neighbor before we're really concerning, you know, before we're concerned with ourselves and really trusting in, in the daily bread and really trusting that our needs will be met. I mean, it's just, it, that's been a really powerful thing that we continue to learn. Right. Where we are focused on financial stability or financial yeah. responsibility. And really he's just exhibiting, you know, the acts Axe Church, yeah. <laughs> just giving freely. Right. I mean, we it, it forces us to reevaluate that our ideas or the ways we were raised, or you know, the the ideas that we have absorbed, are not necessarily the right answer. You know, I think that was our impulse, and it still is sometimes to just assume that we have the right answer. Um, and I, I just don't, I don't believe that like I used to. Hmm. 
Well, I love, I mean, that it's, it's all of these stories that you write about in your book, The Ministry of Ordinary Days, and that it's just your life, you know, in words. And it's, it's a beautiful book full of all of these stories. And I, I love how part of the, almost the discipline that you've created for yourself to really notice the mm-hmm. stories and notice the people is through photographing all yeah. of the ordinary things. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Like w- what you've been doing and, and why and, and how it has developed in you? Mm-hmm. Sure. This, this spiritual discipline almost? Yeah. I, you know, arriving here into this kind of segment of our life, I started to understand that I couldn't love what I didn't know and I couldn't know what I didn't see. And so life for me, and, you know, if we want to say ministry, because I think life is ministry, I think that's kind of the whole point is not that we go and do ministry and then we go home and live our life, but that they're very much muddled together. So, so ministry for me, especially in the early days in our neighborhood became about paying attention in the most literal sense, you know, taking a lot of walks, spending time outside finding opportunities to get to know the people around me in really um, simple ways. But as I, as I started to really seek the loveliness in my place that a lot of people quite honestly wouldn't, wouldn't see as beautiful, but I knew that it was important for me to, to see, to see it as beautiful and to see it as beautiful every single day. And so I kind of set out on a journey with my, with my smartphone of, okay, I'm going to walk my kids to school And then on the short walk home, I'm going to find something beautiful and I'm going to take a picture of it. And that, you know, I like when you say that it is kind of, it became a spiritual discipline. It became a spiritual practice without me even knowing that that's what Uh was happening. You know, it kind of became prayer and liturgy for me. Um, But to really physically seek God's goodness in the place where he has put me. And as I started to see this neighborhood is more beautiful, I began to love it more. And as I began to love it more, I began to love the people around me more. And I think, I think we have to remind ourselves sometimes that the physical world, you know, this is part of God's creation and God's goodness is written all over the sky and it's written all through the trees. And, you know, this is a gift to us. And honestly, what I love about it now is that, you know, I see the way so many of my neighbors and my friends, they are dealt injustice and they are treated unfairly and they are shoved to the margins. But, you know, you look up at the sky and it's different every day. And I love knowing this sky belongs to every one of us. You know, we can all in the midst of whatever we're going through, take a moment and look up to the sky and see God's goodness written in the, in the clouds and in the sky for us. And so it's become a really just, you know, it almost sounds so basic, but I just, you know, I think God's goodness is hiding in these basic ordinary things that we can overlook if we're not being careful. Mm -hmm. Well, it reminds me of, you know, Ann Voskamp's gratitude journal and the the thousand gifts and just kind of naming, there's something to naming. And that's what you're doing when you capture it on, on camera is you are naming that which God has declared holy and those small little spaces and places and people are all around us all the time. Um, So I love that you use the word liturgy because that's what it it feels like a liturgical practice that you. Yeah. I um, stumbled onto it. You know, it wasn't, 
it wasn't because I had this grand idea. It was just, you know, it started off pretty practical and then it, it became a lot more spiritual as I went. And so I can't say enough about, you know, just, just spending time really examining and inspecting and listening to the place where we're planted, because I think that's where ministry begins. I think, you know, rather than feeling like we have an answer to a problem, I mean, what we can do instead is just listen, listen to the people around us, listen to kind of the groanings of our place. And it's going to tell us what the need is. And, and if we're paying attention, God's already there in the midst of it. And he's waving us in, you know, he's waving us over to be a part of it. And I don't want to miss that. <laughs> right. He's already at work. He's not yeah. absent. He's not absent in the jail. He's not absent right. in the inner city or in the dilapidated, you know, parts of, of some of our towns and communities. Communities. Right. He's, he's already there. He's already at work. Yeah. So how can we find that and work alongside of him? Yep. I love that. <laughs> so what are you looking forward to in this next season of, of winters upon us? And oh, no. are you still walking your kids to school every day in the winter? Well, it, you know, it, things have shifted this year and I'm trying to find a new normal because my, I now have Robert's out of the house. Obviously he's 24 now he's doing his thing, but Calvin and Ruby are at the middle school. And so they're all the way across town. It's not walkable. And then Silas is my only one left at the elementary school. And he has started riding his bike every day with a buddy. And so I'm like, what am I supposed to do now? This is part of my liturgy. What am I, what am I going to do yes. now? So it's been, a, it's been an interesting couple of months just realizing, you know, things, things don't stay the same for too long. And this is just a new, you know, this is another little shifting. Um, so, you know, I have to be even more intentional about getting outside and, um, staring at the sky and, and taking those pictures that I do love to take. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, life is just for us now, the thing that I look forward to, and this as cheesy as this sounds, probably, I just look forward to just, you know, one more year with the people around me. And I look forward to one more year of of adding depth to the relationships that we formed and to knowing that there are still, there are still many neighbors that we don't know and people in my neighborhood come and go often. There are so many rental homes and there's a, there's a lot of transition through here, but I know that this is slow work and I know that we don't have to rush it. And I know now that I don't have to feel like my job is to go out and drum up business for God, you know, but that yeah. I can just live as a woman and as a mom and a, wife and a neighbor and, and those, and, you know, just kind of trust in that slow work of God and trust that, you know, if I'm being attentive to my place, I'm not going to miss these opportunities to, to be loved, to experience the love of God through the people around me. So I'm just, I'm in it for the long haul. And I love, I love kind of arriving at that place of understanding this is for, for now until I hear otherwise, this is it. Mm. Shannon, thank you. I, so I am really welcome. encouraged by, by your perspective. Well, thanks. thank it's, you. I loved, I loved chatting with you. Thanks so much for having me on. Thanks for being on the show today. Well, listeners, you are going to want to pick up a copy of Shannon's new book, The Ministry of Ordinary Places, Waking Up to God's Goodness Around You. I love her perspective that if we would just listen to the groanings of our place, we would see um, signs of God everywhere, that life is ministry. And 
particularly, these are the words that are sitting with me right now. I cannot love what I don't know, and I cannot know what I don't see. Um, what what a practice, uh, like we talked about, a spiritual discipline and a liturgical practice of noticing and of naming um, the places in which God is already active. Um, I'm just going to let that sink in for you and for me this week. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to my conversation with Shannon Martin. I hope that you were encouraged. I would love for you to share the show with your friends. Um, head over to iTunes and leave a review. Um, subscribe so that you don't miss uh, when each show drops on Tuesdays. And let me know if you have a recommendation of somebody who should come on the Fierce and Lovely podcast. Um, as always, I've loved being here with you and I'm so grateful that you're tuning in. This is Beth Bruno and you've been listening to the Fierce and Lovely Podcast.